0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. We're in the book of Judges for the next few weeks together. This series is called Searching for a True Savior. If you've ever read through the book of Judges, you'll I think understand to some degree why we've titled it that way. This is a book of a lot of different heroes, if you will, but also some very fallen heroes, some very broken people that God uses for His purposes. But at the end of the day, it just leaves you again and again searching for the real Savior who has not yet come in this story but has come for us. And so the joy of going through Judges Together is, thank the Lord Jesus has come. So again this morning... Uh, as we talk about this big idea of, really the big idea is obedience, but having obedience through fear. And fear is real. Fear is relevant. It's something that humanity has dealt with since the beginning of sin. Since, since Adam and Eve, there has been fear. And all of us struggle to some degree with, with different levels of fear. And, and this morning, I guarantee you, myself included, we're all coming in here with some uh, battle that we're trying to overcome. Maybe it's minute for you, maybe it's a small thing, but there are fears in the midst of those battles. And the funny thing is, everybody has crazy phobias. I've found that almost everybody in my family, a lot of people I run into, have various unusual phobias. And don't feel alone if you've brought some in here today. If you've got the standard arachnophobia, that's okay. A lot of people have that one. It's one of the most common ones, the fear of spiders. And I wouldn't say I love them, I'm not trying to play with them or anything, but I'm not like... Gonna fall out. However, I can remember my uncle. He's got whatever you call the fear of snakes. I don't know the phobia there, but he had it badly and uh, would just fall out of his seat for for snakes. But here's a couple of surprising celebrity phobias. Just just to have a a moment of fun before we dig in together, because we're talking about fear. And here's a few of them. This is aerophobia, which is the fear of flying. A lot of you, maybe some of you, have that one. That one's not too uncommon. But uh, John Madden had that, Jennifer Aniston, Johnny Cash, Muhammad Ali, a lot of people, and that list went on and on and on. Chalrophobia is the fear of clowns, which I may have. Y'all, I saw it way too young. All right, that movie creeped me out. So, the fear of clowns. Johnny Depp, believe it or not, has that one. That one blows my mind. Daniel Radcliffe. P. Diddy Combs. Maybe it's in the Combs family to be f- afraid of clowns. But. <laughs> There's the fear, ailerophobia, which is the fear of cats. Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Mussolini, Alexander the Great, even Hitler, apparently. Maybe you've got to be some kind of powerful, even maybe obnoxiously powerful person. But have a, a, have a fear of cats, I don't know. Thalassophobia is the fear of the ocean. Michael Jordan apparently has the fear of the ocean, I don't know. Lepidopterophobia—that I, pronu- I didn't work on these pronunciations. I'm, don't worry about the Bible part. But anyway, this is the fear of butterflies. Uh, Nicole Kidman apparently is afraid of butterflies. Nyctophobia, the fear of the dark, Megan Fox. And believe it or not, this one really disappointed me. The fear of the dark, Keanu Reeves. John Wick, how is that possible? He's afraid of the dark. Entemophobia is the fear of re- revolving doors. This was like my favorite one when I found it. And tamophobia, the fear of revolving doors, Matthew McConaughey, among some others, avoids them at all costs. Isn't that great? People are afraid of the wildest stuff. Maybe you've got some strange fears this morning. I don't really wanted to get into that, you know, your weird phobias. But the thing is, some fears are no joke. Some fears can be completely debilitating, can cause us to not obey the Lord's call in our life. They can cause us to make really disobedient choices. They can cause us to have a great deal of anxiety, maybe even depression. They can cause such torture on us when we can't overcome those fears by the power of God. And some of you are right there right now, dealing with some kind of fears that have immobilized you or caused you to act irrationally. And that's what I want to get into today is this idea of what would it look like through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient in spite of fear. Not that every fear is going to just totally be overcome or thrown to the wayside. There are some things we just have to wrestle as God moves us along in the journey. And, he and various stories in Scripture. And so what about you today? What are you afraid of? Maybe it's, maybe it's a medical issue that you're fearful of, you're fearful of the treatment, you're fearful of where it's going to lead. Maybe you're afraid this morning of commitment. You've been in a relationship for a while, but you're afraid to commit to marriage maybe. Maybe you're in a bad relationship and you, you really need to break it off, but you're afraid that you'll be alone. You're, you have a great fear of loneliness. Maybe you're at a dead-end job today and you'd really like to make that change, but to be honest, you're afraid of change because... Change has often brought disruption and terrible things. I don't know. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate. You're going to college. Or maybe you're finishing college. You're not sure what to major in. You're not sure what to do next. You're terribly afraid of making the wrong choice. Maybe you're close to retirement. And you're afraid you're not prepared well enough for it. You're not ready for what follows. The truth is, and maybe I didn't fill in your blank, but the truth is we all struggle with some various fear that causes us have difficult, difficulty obeying the Lord and following him well. And so that's what I think today is we're in the book of Judges chapter 6. I would argue that's maybe the major premise, if you will, of this text is that God is trying to help us overcome fear. And so the Israelites, as we dig into chapter 6 today, and i to take it in some bites, it's about 40 verses. And so I don't want to just throw that all at you at once. We'll take it in snippets. But I believe here, they enter this this phase, as you're going to see again and again, week after week. Israel sins, Israel falls into sorrow, they fall into slavery, if you will, indentured servitude, and God hears them, He sends a, he sends a deliverer, that's the cycle, and then they, there's repentance and all that. But the problem again and again is Israel's repentance is really not very good. It's not very substantial, and so... We can learn from this. We can learn that the time here of this timid man, we're going to learn about this man today named Gideon. Some of you have named your kids that. It's a great name. It's a powerful name. But we must admit, Gideon doesn't start super well. And sadly, he doesn't finish super well either. But somewhere in the middle, God does some miraculous things. God uses us in spite of our own brokenness and our timid natures. And so that's what we can learn today from Gideon overcoming his fear, obeying the Lord, learning to overcome our fears. And I believe the text is going to give us four clear ways to overcome our fears, obeying the Lord. So let's dig in. We'll take the first 10 verses. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That is a repetitive statement you're going to see again and again. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because... Of Midian, The people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So they've hidden away, they've tucked themselves away in caves and mountains. This is sad. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel. And no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought low, brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out, the Midian. This one's going to be a good one, y'all, I think. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, don't miss this, church. I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. This is the first of the many ways that we can learn to overcome our fears by obeying the Lord. And this is the first one, by repenting of worldly fears. Repenting of worldly fears. I would argue verse 10 may be really the keys under the doormat for all of chapter 6. What God is arguing for here is that you've made the decision, instead of fearing me, which would be right, instead of being all of me and fearing me appropriately, you've chosen to place that fear on everything else, on gods that aren't real or on on, on idols that don't matter. And that's what the people have done. And unfortunately, that's what we do from time to time is instead of this righteous, all respect, honor of God, we place that on other things. And so... That's the first call. Now, I want to admit to something here that is, it might be troubling to you, but I think it's true of God. I think it's still true of God. This, this is not the unchanging God who works through us and in us, and sometimes opposition comes up against us that he might train us with it. And here we have this scenario where they have been brought very low. There are raiders coming through Israel. This is different than what we've seen so far in Judges. These people aren't coming here to take the land. They're coming to steal and ravage. And they're causing the Israelites to have no food. People are dying. There's a great famine because they have come like locusts and ruined their land and ruined their lifestyle. And what do the people do? Does, do you read anywhere in verses 1 through 10? I would encourage you to look back. Do you read anywhere the word repent? It's not there. What you'll see in the I'm, not, I'm like not even moving. Are y'all noticing that? Like, like no, those of you who come here know I like to do all kinds of I'm barely moving. Come on, Mike. You'll notice something here that in verse 7, actually in verse 6, after it says they've been brought low, it doesn't say they cried out in repentance. It says they cried out for help. And this is what God does that might be hard for some of you to hear. But God desires, and I said this, I think, in week one, His greater desire is our restoration, our reconciliation. His greater desire is that we would look more like Jesus every day. It's not that relief isn't important to him. It's it's not that our comfort doesn't matter at all to Christ. He does care. We're his kids. He loves us. He wants us to walk steadily through this life with, with little pain. But sometimes, sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's struggles. In order that we might see him and trust him and follow him more closely. And that's not what Israel's doing. There's a reason that it says here very clearly, the Lord gave them over to the Midian's. This wasn't accidental, and it was so that they might cry out in repentance. But But I'm sure your ears are thankful. Um, Something to work on. There's always something, y'all. This is this difficult piece of Scripture, and it might be difficult for you today, but I want you to hear it. I want you to hear this piece that God cares so much about your character. He cares so much that instead here, instead of sending relief, instead of sending first salvation, what does he send? He sends a sermon. He doesn't send salvation first. He sends a sermon first. And why is that? Because he recognizes something. I can heal you today, but you're going to have this problem tomorrow. I can bring you a fish today, but I haven't taught you anything. Right. This is this old adage, if I can help you in this moment, but it's not going to fix your problem. That's what God has done. He's brought them a sermon that they might hear him again and hear these words so clearly. You fear everything else. You fear the Midianites. You fear their gods. You fear all the gods of the neighboring cities. You're deep and steeped in idolatry. And if you would just see me again, if you would just fear the Lord your God again, you would find that all of these things fall to the wayside. Then I can protect you again. I can, I, can, I can send deliverers and I can get you out of this and you won't fall prey to it again. Instead, you've been brought very low, as it says here. This fear, this word fear, you'll see it. Several times in the text today, and that's why I really zoomed in on this in my preparation today. It seemed to be at the heart of so much of what he's talking about. Here, here this first point, these first couple of ideas is this idea that we would fear other things other than God. This wild thing occurs that we would fear everything else but God. This worldly sorrow, it, it's not true repentance at all. And this might, I hope this doesn't discourage you today, but I hope it'll challenge you is that when you come to Christ with constant need of relief and constant, constantly wanting God to remove some obstacle, but missing the part where he desires your change, where he desires you to look more like Jesus today. Missing that part causes, I think, God to be unable to fully follow through. I, there's a lot of places I could go to to kind of examine this but here's one that I thought put pretty well this is in second Corinthians chapter 7 talking of worldly sorrow it says for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation there's there's no regret in that kind of, of sorrow but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death It's not surprising that people feel bad. That's that's essentially what God is saying, what Paul is here writing to the Corinthians. That kind of sorrow that, oh, man, I feel bad that this bad stuff's happening to me. Well, duh. So does literally everybody else. It takes no spiritual component. It takes no faith for you to say, I hate it when bad stuff happens to me. But it takes this extra dose, this, this other supply to go, okay, God, what are you doing in this? maybe there's no maybe there's no need in this moment for my repentance but let me go there first let me examine that first and say is there something i need to learn is there something i need to change is there some way i need to grow perhaps though some of you are dealing with a certain level of difficulty or pain or sorrow that has more to do with the way the world around you would perceive you in it and some i think are dealing with that it's not your sin it's not a lack of repentance but rather God wants to show his glory through your scenario. And that's difficult, I know, to face, and yet God can do amazing things in that. And and I think the summary of of verses 1 through 10 is this sense of getting the right kind of fear. Now, this is crazy, right? This is wild. Let's talk this morning about overcoming fear, and let me give you the number one way to overcome fear, fear. That makes no sense. I know initially it makes no sense, and yet I want you to understand something. God has created us. He is above all. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is far beyond our understanding. His power is too great for us to even examine, much less write about. This God is worthy of our fear in the sense of awe. The word in the Greek, in fact, is phobos. But that word has the the intent also of reverence, of honor, of respect. The word here in the Hebrew is yare, which means to stand in awe of. And his accusation to the people is you stand in awe of everything else, but you don't stand in awe of me. I love what Oswald Chambers says about this. He says the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God... You fear everything else. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. That if we would get the priorities right, if we would look at him and say, I care way more about what you think. I care way more about what you desire for me than anything else. That's that kind of fear. I start to place you on the correct pedestal where everything I do, everything I desire, the way I want to perceive, be perceived, I want it all to come from you. This reminds me, in a, in a sense, of a, a good parenting relationship, a good one. Now, some of you didn't experience that, but maybe you're, I hope, trying to do that as a parent now. is. It's not that you want your children to fear you in the sense of they're constantly afraid you're going to punish them. That you want to move past that. There's a a certain level of discipline needs to happen. If you don't discipline your children, just wait and see what that will create. That won't be good at all. But you don't want them to fear the discipline, whether it's you spank, whether it is you ground. You don't want them to be in constant fear of that. Rather, you want them to move past that and see, "I, I want my parents to be proud of me. You want them to move to this point which is more of the heavenly relationship, which is, I don't fear, I honestly can say this, church, I don't fear God's wrath. Why? Because of Jesus. His wrath has already been poured out. I have nothing to fear in sin and death. It's been paid for. However, I do fear His displeasure. I want so badly for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want so so badly for God to say, you are doing my will, my son. You are following the course, and I'm proud of you. Not that I'm perfect, I'm going to make mistakes, but that at the end of the day I can say, I know I'm going at least in the right direction. I know I'm following your plan, and God help me. (laughs) Help me in my brokenness. Help me in my mistakes. But I fear his displeasure. I don't fear his wrath. And that's a better parenting relationship. That's the kind of fear God says, if you would fear me like that, you wouldn't fear anything else. If I, go, if I start to see God as my master, as my, as my shepherd, as my all in all, then what you have to say about me really stops mattering. It just stops mattering. I even heard recently a, a pastor talking about this idea of, of a Christian who's offendable is a baffling thing. Now think about this. This might rub some of you the wrong way, but his argument was that Christians, true Christians, who are really faithful and understand who they are in Christ Jesus, should be unoffendable. It shouldn't be possible, because the only offense that could possibly bring you low would be that God says, you are not doing my will, my son. That would be the only thing that would cause us to go, oh. But when, you, when someone else, in, uh, some, uh, some human tells me, hey, I don't like you. I don't like what you're up to. Okay. Whoop-de-doo. I don't care about that. I really don't. Now, there's a few humans, I have to admit. They can really get under my skin. Like, if my... If my earthly father tells me that, if my wife tells me that, if my kids tell me that, it hurts. So I don't think you can totally remove yourself from it, but you try. But, but, but here's what's crazy. When you, when you have a godly family, when you follow after God, you know who's going to be proud of you? The people who follow Christ with you. You're not going to have a problem with other believers. When you're following with all your heart after the Lord, those people will say, Well, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I'm glad of what you're doing. You don't have to worry I love what Oswald says. It's been ringing in my ears all week. If you fear God, you fear nothing else. The people of Israel feared all the gods of the Amorites, the worldly false gods, the idols. They were living in disobedience. They were afraid of man. They were afraid of the world. They were afraid. I wonder this morning, what can you do about that? Can you repent of those things? Lord, right now, I repent of those those fears I have of men. Those, Those fears that I have that... If I follow after God close enough that people will like me less. If I follow after the Lord close enough at work, it will cause me to have to be honest. And everyone else is dishonest at work. And so I'm going to fall behind. Do you trust that God will protect your trajectory? Will you repent of these things? Instead, my friends, fear the Lord and watch Him move. Watch Him take care of the details. Let's continue now. Judges 6, 11 through 24, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he's hiding. Verse 12, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, This one's great. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, as Gideon hides in the winepress. Interesting. And verse 13 says so well what Gideon's thinking. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, do I not send you? I love that the Lord's just like, I didn't even hear that. Just just go do what I'm telling you. Go save Israel. Okay, wow. That's awesome. Verse 15, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if I've found favor in your eyes, then, then show, me, show me a sign that, is, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, the angel said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought it. He brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the Lord and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord (laughs) it took all that and Gideon said alas O Lord God for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face but the Lord said to him peace be to you do not fear you shall not die then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace to this day it still stands at Ophrah which belongs to the Abizrites all right let's pause there how do we overcome fear by obeying the Lord by finding courage in the Lord's calling and presence, by finding courage in the Lord's calling and presence. Here's what's great about the story of Gideon is he's the everyman. He's you and I. He's you and I, friends. I love what one pastor said about this. It's the idea that God does not call the brave, He makes brave the called. I love that. I love that that's what he's doing. That's what he does throughout this book. Is these are not perfect people. In fact, they are very imperfect people apart from Jesus himself. These are broken men and women of God. And Gideon comes hiding, <laughs> and God appears to him right in that place. Now, I want, I want you to think about something for just a moment. You can, you can bring up this, this image. This is kind of where we are in, in the nation. Uh, there we go. So this, obviously, Israel runs vertically like this. We're in the Jezreel Valley again near the Dead Sea and here he is instead of out in the fields the Jezreel Valley is huge it's it's also Megiddo is a part of that this this massive land and even to this day a very fertile place and this is where they're raiding right in the midst of where Gideon's at and so what's he doing he's down in the wine press which is this place often down in the rock which it would have two layers and uh, normally wine press day would be a great day where they're going in there and the, the women are mashing the grapes with their feet and it's, it's running down and they're going to have a festival together but not today not today, this isn't a day of joy he's out here trying to separate the wheat from the chaff with no wind if you know anything about this you're supposed to do this you're supposed to separate the wheat from the chaff on top of a hillside so that the wind will help you you throw it up in the air and this very light chaff blows away So then all you're left with is the good stuff. That's not what Gideon's rolling with. He's down in here where there's probably almost no wind, trying to throw it up in the air, and I guess, I don't know what he's doing. It's probably all over him. It's probably in his hair. It's all over his body. He's trying to get the chaff, and it's not working real great. And in that very moment, the angel of the Lord is sitting under a tree nearby watching him. I just think the Lord has got such a good sense of humor. You think, he's the original comedian, y'all. We, we didn't think of this stuff. He's just sitting over there. How you doing, old man of valor? Yeah, you look you look, val- you look like a mighty man. Here, the Hebrew here is gibor, which is the thing that describes these mighty men, the men who fought under David, the mighty men of God, who, who fought lions down in lion's dens, who, who, who take on giants. And Gideon, I'm hiding from the Midianites, and I've got chaff all over me mighty man of valor. Why is this? Why is this encouraging? It should be encouraging to you because God doesn't need you to be right yet. He doesn't need you to be brave. He doesn't need you to be courageous. He doesn't need you to be well equipped. He needs you to say yes. That's all he needs. He just needs to know, oh, Gibor, mighty man of valor, will you say yes to my calling? And then he goes on to say the most important thing, because look, Gideon has all the right things to say. Everything he says back is true. Everything is true. It is true that the Midianites have overthrown them and that God hasn't done anything about that yet. It is true that God did all this miraculous stuff and his fathers have been telling him about it, but Gideon hasn't seen it personally. That's true. It's even true that He's from this tribe of Manasseh, and that apparently, he says, I'm the least of these. Apparently, he's the youngest. Maybe he's the runt. That, that word means one of two things. Either he's the youngest in his family, or he's just the, the runt. Reminded me somewhat of, of, of David in some ways, but more even more than that, this mosaic kind of story that's being told again. It's like, who, Why are you choosing me, God? I don't speak so well, was Moses. Send somebody else. Gideon has a similar thought. I'm the weakest, I'm the least, I'm a nobody. As we continue in the story, you'll find out he's kind of not being honest. Because actually Gideon's family seems pretty prominent based on what we're going to read in in a few scriptures here. But he says, I'm the least of these, I'm a nobody, God says. He just overlooks that and just says, I'll be with you. My presence is going to go with you. First of all, you're called. and First of all, I'm coming. And that's all I need. That's really great news to us today. What God requires of us is not that we're perfect, not that we've got it all figured out, not that we're well-equipped, not even that we're courageous in every way, but that we would at least understand, all right, God said, go, and he also said, I'll be with you. You know, he said that to us too, believers. That's the joy, that's the beauty of the Great Commission is those very two same words are there. We know our purpose. Now, I get this. Each of you have a, a specific purpose, Maybe it's where you've been called into your workplace. Maybe it's the fact that you're a husband or a wife. Maybe it's the fact that you're a mother or a father. Those things are callings, those are a part of what God's doing. But the general call is on every one of us as believers. And in both of those things are true. He says, Go therefore, and lo, there, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. The same two things you're called, and I'm present. Aren't you excited? And he doesn't need you to have it figured out. So the excuse that we love is like, oh, but but isn't, isn't evangelism, isn't being a witness, isn't that for the super-Christians? No, because those don't exist. It's for Christians. It's just for people. And the only thing he requires is not your bravery, not that you know all the answers, not that you know how, how to put it perfectly. It's that you would say yes. Are you, are you available? We find our courage in obeying and depending on his presence. Joshua 1.9, it says this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the key to the statement. It's not that you're perfectly courageous. It's that God is with you. I, to this day, love to challenge my kids. I got this natural. I grew up with this type of parenting, is the idea of like, Always stretching my kids to face their fears in a lot of ways, and I'll give you a really good example. I've with every one of my kids, I like to stand on the side of the pool and just just ask them to just jump in. I know you can't swim, that's okay. Do you trust me? Just just jump in, I'll catch you. I promise you, Daddy's gonna catch you. And most of them will do that. Although I've got some fearful rascals, y'all. They like I maybe I've done too many like devious things to these kids that they're starting to lose some trust on me. That's my fault. But I'm constantly trying to help them overcome their fears. And the reason they can overcome that fear is, do you trust me? And the God is saying that same thing I think today. Go, therefore, make disciples, and, and I'm with you always. Do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. I trust you. Are you waiting on God to give you everything you need before you obey his call in your life? I want you to know something. His call almost always precedes his supply. Almost always At least in in the scriptures, it seems to be true almost every time. So we believe God and we obey him and we trust that he will provide as we need it. Here's the third. Let's dig in. Finish up this text together. Verses 25 through 32. It says, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants. Starting to sound like he's not the least of these and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did not do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son so that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is indeed a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Okay, third way to face our fear, overcome our fear in obedience to the Lord, we can remove the strongholds from our lives. This is a clear, it kind of makes too much sense, the clear next step that God wants is in order for me to teach you to fear me and trust me, I've got to first help you with your two-altar problem. You've got a problem going on here, Gideon, and you can't fully follow me. It's because you have two altars in your life, one for me and one for Baal. One for me and one for idols. I'll pop up these images really quick for me. There's, there's this Baal creature who you see throughout the scriptures, often put as one of the main gods of the enemy. He's this bull-like thing. He's not so far-fetched, though, really. It's not like the people were totally strange. He was a storm god. He's the one who they believed brought the rain. He's the one who they believed was the the reason for their good crop. So they prayed to him. And alongside him, you can bring up Asherah. Asherah is a type of goddess that has been throughout history, really, uh, with various different names. The goddess of fertility, because throughout human history, the having offspring has been extremely important and it's interesting to me that these things keep appearing at this isn't the point of the sermon today but i think there's there's some evil reality to these things that they keep taking on different forms but it's the same type and i think our our type today the asherah type today is so con it's so complex but It's interesting that throughout almost all of human history, the people have been praying to false gods that they would have fertility, and now in our modern day, we would pray to this false god of infertility. It's crazy to me that we would, anyway, that our culture would turn on the other side of this fence is amazing. We can remove these strongholds from our lives. First, he says to Gideon, I want you to take down the thing that's holding you back. And he's very descriptive about it. He says, take your father's bull, take a second bull, take ten men with you. And this this describes something about his household, that they have some wealth. They're prominent, more prominent than Gideon was letting on. And he says, bring a seven-year-old bull there. That's odd to me, although... I would say this, perhaps it has something to do with the number of completion. God likes that number, seven. But I would argue maybe it's this. If you go back and look at verse 1, it says they've been enslaved under Midian for seven years. So it's almost like God is going to take, before the bull God, before the Minotaur God, let me have you sacrifice a bull, (laughs) that's not ironic, and do it with a seven-year-old one. It's like God is totally defeating the enemy right here. Even before he has fully done it and he's going to do it, he's already preparing Gideon for it. And what has to happen first is you, this tribe, this people, you've got to prepare your hearts first. And so this is often what God, I think, does with his people is he begins to clean house before sending. He begins to work on your heart even before you go. The question I wonder here is, do you have two altars in your own heart? You, you have to choose. You, the Lord is a jealous God. The Lord is a great God, and he doesn't desire to, <laughs> to share allegiance. In fact, there's many scriptures I could go to. Here's Jesus speaking of, of one of those altars that we often struggle with. In Matthew 6, he says, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God And be enslaved to money. That's one of the many masters that we struggle with in modern days for sure. We can remove these idolatrous strongholds with divine power. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is what he's doing in us. Are you trying to worship at two altars? Is this your, is this, this, this you're trying to live? I would say it's, it's probably causing you such stress. It's so difficult to try to live in the in-between in this gray. I was watching a couple of different sermons on this text this past week, just trying to see what others have said. And one thought that, 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 this is Pastor J.D. Greer up in, uh, up in Durham at Summit Church. He says there's two signs, there's two really good signs that you're struggling in idolatry, that you're struggling with an idol, because that word is funny, right? We look at that and go, I don't think I'm doing that. Uh, if we're talking about Baal and Astra and, and this weird stuff, that's not me. But the problem is there's these modern idols that look That look different, but they're the same premise. And a lot of us struggle in idolatry. In fact, in the very way Jesus speaks of that, we're enslaved somehow to money, or we're enslaved in some other way. But here's what Pastor Greer had to say. He said there's two sure signs of an idol: it causes you disobedience, or it causes you anxiety. Here's a couple that he put out, and I think these are pretty helpful. Are you disobedient in a relationship? because you don't trust God with it. Now, this often looks like this. If, if you're not married yet, this would be sleeping together before marriage, because you're afraid if you don't give in to that, they'll leave you. And that shows certainly a lack of trust in God. That, that, that relationship now has become more important than doing what is right, than doing what the, the Scriptures teach. Maybe you're cheating on your taxes, a temptation that a lot of us struggle with, or you're robbing your employer, and you'll say, well, how am I robbing him? I used to see people rob their employers in the most extravagant ways, and they think, oh, this is just normal. And instead of, instead of like, I'm, I'm not going to punch out, and I don't even know if people punch out anymore. Does everybody, go, does everybody work online now? This is wild, but, but, but I, just, I won't punch out just yet. I'll, I'll go and do a couple things, and, and then I'll punch out for lunch. And it's like somehow people would make their lunch breaks two hours instead of one. I saw this all the time. Well, how am I robbing my employer? Well, that's dishonest. And it shows a lack of trust in God. But I won't have enough energy for the day. And if I work really hard, you know what I've observed? If I work really hard, then I'm going to get more work to do because most of the people at my workplace are extremely lazy. That's true. And a lot of people at your workplace are not believers. And they're curious as to why it is you're a lazy bum as well. You should look different, shouldn't you? Because you don't work as unto men, you work as unto the Lord. It brings me back to that first point. Who do you fear more? So how am I robbing my employer? Oh, there are many ways. Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God with your energy? Oh, you're not generous with God. You're not generous with others. But if I give, if I'm generous, I don't know if I'll have enough. Disobedience, my friends. Anxious thoughts are sure signs of idols. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to mammon, to money, to, to many other things. God desires to remove those strongholds so that he can send you fully. Let's finish this text together, the last few verses of chapter 6. And this is one of the weirdest parts of this whole passage, and often a really, really badly, <laughs> badly preached part, so I'll try to do much better. Verse 33, it says, now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east, they came together. Oh my goodness, they've united under one banner to do massive damage. And they crossed the Jordan, they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. This is a problem. Verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. What a cool thing. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. This is looking good. It's looking like Gideon's about to throw down. And verse 36, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Verse 38. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, (laughs) Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Just, just once more, God. Please let me test you just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry. Only The, the fleece only, let it be dry. and All the ground, let that have dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. God bless the reading of his word, amen. Now, I have heard people say this my whole life. This tells you that I'm, I've been a churchy boy my whole life. I've heard people say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out my fleece. I'm going to lay out my fleece in the morning and see what the Lord says. I get the sentiment. However, as many parts of Scripture, I would say this is not normative. This is a narrative, and God does something that I would suggest is a great grace to, to Gideon, a great mercy to Gideon. And I can say that with a great deal of certainty, knowing that what Gideon says about it himself shows I shouldn't be doing this. Notice what he says in verse 39. Let not your anger burn against me, but I really got to ask you again. For whatever reason, God decides to show him grace, and he's done that for a lot of you too. If you've ever done this, all right, God, show me something, and you did this just like, oh, my goodness, no, it can't be this. Let's try again, Lord. (laughs) Ah, you know, sometimes God has shown us a great deal of grace there. Well, here's what we can do with confidence. We can ask God to help with our doubts. That's how we really overcome fear. That's how we obey the Lord. It's God, help me with my doubts. They came together across the Jordan. You can pop up this map. This is, again, kind of where we are, and I like to just kind of show you what we're dealing with. And the Spirit has now clothed Gideon. He's starting to call people in. Some of you might know exactly what this feels like. He's gotten cold feet on the night before. I mean, he is about to go to war, a great war, and he's gotten cold feet. Maybe some of you felt this on your wedding day. Maybe some of you felt this that night you were driving your spouse uh, to, to, to have the first baby. Maybe some of you felt this as you're about to have the first baby. You're like, oh my goodness. There's no stopping that force. It's coming. Maybe you've had cold feet as you're about to start a new business. Or you're about to start a new job. So many of us have had this kind of experience, and you start to doubt in that moment. It's the night before, I think, for Gideon. And the people have shown up. And he's like, oh, my goodness. They're coming. They're, they're really here. I've, I'm leading people. Some of you have been there. Like, I, I'm in charge of this operation. It's terrifying. So Gideon's like, I better be sure. Because I'm about to let a whole lot of people down. Now, I would argue there's probably a lot of ways that Gideon could have handled this, and maybe this is one of the odder ways he could have done it. Like, who thinks of this? What a strange thing to try. I'm going to put my clothes out, and if God makes them wet, good. Duh. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, maybe the clothes soaked up all the water. Maybe God didn't do it. That's what Maybe that's what he's thinking. I put this fleece out, and somehow it absorbed all this water. I'm not sure God did it. So I know if I put it out and everything else is wet and somehow it's dry. What a wild thing to try. But I've heard some of you do some strange stuff like this, too. If I see, if I see a, 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 ten punch bugs on the way home, I know God's telling me what to do. Some of you do stuff like that. You do stuff like that. And God sometimes will really show you grace in that, but he's got a better plan even than that. I would say we don't need the fleece anymore. You know why? Because we have the cross. I would say we don't need the fleece anymore because we have the empty tomb. I would say we don't need the, the Urum and Thummim, if I've really got into some details. They used to cast dice somehow to make decisions, and God would honor that. There's no Christian dice, my friends. There's the, you don't go and roll for, huh, can I pass go today, God? That's not how you know, we have the cross. He encourages us instead throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old as well. This isn't news for us to seek God, to seek His face. He encourages us to ask about wisdom, to overcome our doubts. James chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask God. Whoever, this God who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given Him. Let Him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Don't doubt that God will... Respond. Don't doubt that he loves you and gives generously. Don't doubt that. Instead, come asking for wisdom. And Jesus says very very much so this in Matthew chapter 12. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees came and answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I've always, in my mind, heard that ringing in my ears like, God, I don't need a sign, all right? But I'm struggling with doubt. Would you just give me guidance? Would you give me wisdom? Because I always had that ringing in my ear going, I don't want to be a wicked and adulterous generation, oh, Lord. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, which was three days in the belly of a whale. He's saying, three days I'll be in the tomb, and that's going to be the sign to you that I'm legit. I'm going to rise from the dead. It reminds me of a story that I want to end with. A way in which I've been struggling as of late, and I'm thankful again for the word of God which helps me. The disciples, this is in Mark chapter 9, and it may be in some of the other gospels. This is where I found it this week. And the disciples brought Jesus a demon-possessed boy. And as soon as he's brought before Jesus, the boy is thrown into a violent convulsion. He totally loses it and foaming from the mouth. And Jesus asks the Father, He says, How long has this been happening? How long has this been going on? And the Father said, Since he was a little boy. It even throws him into the fire. It throws him into the water. It's trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. That's how he responds to Jesus. Help us if you can. Jesus, interestingly enough, answers. He says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes, he says. And the father instantly says, what I would say, what you might say. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And it was so. This story helps me so much. I've heard people say, put out the fleece. That's not a principle to be imitated. But God does desire to direct us and encourage us through our doubt. I wonder, can you pray along with this poor man? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know where God is calling you. I don't know where he's sending you. I don't know what he's already asked you to do. I don't know where this morning you're hearing him say, all right, you need to to move on from this. You need to do this. I don't know where the Holy Spirit's leading you today. But I wonder, can you pray with this man as I would pray with him? I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me in my doubts. Give me wisdom in this. We can overcome our fears and obey God because of his presence because of his promises because of his grace and power because more than all these things because of the cross of jesus which has dealt with his wrath we we no longer have to fear god in the sense of wrath but we fear him in the sense of awe and wonder and reverence because he's worthy repent of those worldly fears have fear of the lord Find courage in his presence, in his calling on your life. Remove those idolatrous strongholds with God's power and ask for God's wisdom. If you need wisdom, if you have doubts, ask. Don't come to me first. Come to the Lord again and again and again. And seek the counsel of the wise. That's great. But come to the Lord. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Judges, chapter 6 here. The good, the good reminder that there, there's, there's a true battle that we're fighting. And it looks different for each and every one of us, but it causes each and every one of us to struggle with self-doubt, maybe some other doubt. It causes us to struggle at times with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what could happen, fear of what we don't yet see. So many different fears, fear that there won't be enough, fear that I'm not the right person for this, fill in the blank there's so many and you've called us certainly to a greater purpose you've called us certainly to be your sons and daughters which looks amazing and and looks a certain way and yet there's fear in that god i'm asking today would you help us to overcome those things by obedience to you if it's your will remove them but if you would like us to struggle through them, Lord, so that you would, might, might just receive more glory, Lord, than I'm willing. I'm praying for your church, that they would be willing, your people. Maybe there are some things where we doubt ourselves, and we'll struggle with that most of our life. Maybe that'll be true. But you'll get even more glory in that, that we depended on you truly, <laughs> that our trust was not in ourselves but in you. God, move in spite of our fear. Lead us where you desire us. We ask now, Lord, that you would re- remove from us, as far as the east is from the west, these idols, these broken places where we're tempted, where we struggle, where we put other gods before you. And maybe they don't have the names Baal and Astra. They have other names like comfort. They have other names like wealth. They have other names like security. Other names like, but my will, God, I want to do what makes me happy rather than understanding that joy, true joy comes from you. God, we lay those now at your feet. And I don't know yours, my friend, but I know some of mine. And I'll lay those today at your feet, Lord Jesus, knowing that those things which I think will make me happy are killing me and are bringing me a great deal of of anxiety, a great deal of, of disobedience before you, but also just a broken heart. I lay those today at your feet, Lord. I don't want to serve two altars anymore. I I, I don't want to try to live in that gray area, and dear Father, I pray would you remove them from me and help me to follow you in everything. We pray that as your church, God, makes to look more like Jesus every day. We give in to your will on that, that you care more about our character than our comfort. We ask now today, Lord, in in a true heart of repentance, make us more like Jesus. If it's your desire to relieve some sort of pain, some sickness, some brokenness, Lord, if it's your desire to remove that, we ask that with with boldness, God, would would you make us well? As I'm thinking about a lot of people in the room, God, if you desire to show a miracle, would you do it? We pray. But in spite of that, Lord Jesus... We pray now that you would make us look more like Jesus. Until you take us home and this life is short. God, we ask now, help us to walk with you, like you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.